Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message. Can we welcome Emily Snyder? Hello. Yeah, I appreciate that, Andrew, because in the first service, see, I have, I've never done this before, okay? Well, I've, one other time at 9 a.m. So in the first service, I have in my notes, introduce myself, and then Andrew said everything I was going to say. So I got up here, and I was like, oh, okay. Um, so yes, my name is Emily Snyder. Um, my husband, Dusty, and I have been part of the Vineyard family since we were in college, so we're going to say 13 years, roundabouts. I've got two little kids. They're awesome and hilarious, and mercifully, they're in kids' church right now. Um, But I am. If you ever see me make, like, a beeline in your direction on a Sunday morning, could be. I'm trying to recruit you to be in the nursery. (laughs) Please don't run. It's fun. Um, I spend 40-plus hours a week um, working my day job at the Taylor County Public Library, along with half the rest of the vineyard. Right, Danielle. Yeah, <laughs> um, former Robert. You worked there for a season, didn't you? Yeah. So it's a great place to work. How many of you have been to your local public library? Great, thank you. Oh, I'm not even going to preach today. We're just going to talk about the library. It's going to be awesome. Um, but it's it's wonderful. I love working there. Uh, we love being here in Campbellsville. Um, it's just such a great little place to live, isn't it? I hope you think that. If not, oh, sorry. Um, so. Really quickly, when Adam asked me to preach um, via text message, um, I was like instantly I thought, yeah, absolutely, that sounds great. And then I also thought, oh, boy. (laughs) Um, But he has been uh, in a really, we've been in a really great sermon series uh, the past couple weeks, The Invitations of Jesus, right? Um, How many of you have been here for at least one other invitation. Show of hands. Show of hands. I like people to participate, so if you don't participate, it will be awkward. Um, great. So the first uh, invitation that we received was all who are weary. And we learned that what Jesus has for us is a, an easy burden and a light yoke. And if a yoke is designed to harness two creatures together and you're on one side, who is on the other side with you? Jesus himself. That's awesome. Um, Our second invitation was all who are thirsty. So all you need to have to receive from the Lord is thirst. And who in here has never been thirsty before? Can't happen. You would be dead. Um, That actually may be my favorite invitation, excluding what we're going to talk about today, which I do hold near and dear. Um, All who are thirsty... It's built into our physiological makeup to be able to receive from Jesus. It's wonderful. And then last week he talked about the true host. So sometimes there's just no better way to get to know somebody than to share a meal with them. And Jesus invites us to dine around his table, which is great. So this week, we have a very uh, great invitation. It's the invitation to, Stephen, you want to put my picture up there? Come and see. (laughs) Now, for those of you who find this funny, 
Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. For those of you who don't get it, um, I thought maybe we would miss Adam a little bit while he's gone. So I wanted to kind of like incorporate the essence of an Adam Russell sermon uh, today. So here's what you do. You take a picture of a priceless work of art or a Facebook profile picture. And then you use your finger on your iPhone, you draw squiggly lines on it. (laughs) And now you'll be able to hear from the Lord today. Isn't that great? (laughs) Come and see. It's our invitation today. And I'm going to tell you something. It's a good one. But it also incorporates like every single thing that I find difficult about the God life, right? Faith, you know, just faith. Um, Believing, receiving, perseverance, hope. Those are all really good things, but they're all so hard. And this one invitation encompasses all of them all together. It's super concentrated. So we're going to kick things off in the book of John, John 1. Um, I kind of have a complicated relationship with John 1 because the first 18 verses, I don't really get it. I mean, I know what they are, and I've studied them. I'm pretty sure I had a whole class on them uh, at Campbellsville University, Um, which was a good class. That's where I met my husband. But I don't really get it. And that's not why we're going to skip over the first 18 verses today. It's just in the interest of time. Um, But it's good. It's theology 101. It's what we believe. Move in to verse 19. Now we're going to meet John the Baptist, or as Dr. Hurchin called him in my studies in John class, J-Bap. Okay? <laughs> That's in my notes, J-Bap. Um, so what we need to know about John the Baptist for the purpose of this message today is that he was out in the desert, uh, and he was preparing a way for the Messiah. Uh, he was wearing camel hair and eaten honey and bugs, and that is not super important. I just find it fascinating. Um, but he was preparing a way for Jesus, and any time somebody asked him, John, are you the Messiah? He said no, because one, he wasn't, and two, he knew who it was. So uh, we're going to meet several people uh, in, our, in our passages today who are on a kind of like overall, overarching come-and-see journey, because they are journeying in their belief that a Messiah will someday come, and that everything will be made right. And how much do we actually still want that today? Just for somebody to come and like make things right. Luckily, we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and he's the one who can do it. And that's great. I'm going to take a drink. Awkward pause. I was saying too hard. Worship was really good today. Morgan was super nervous. She killed it. She did great. So, we're going to start in verse 35, John chapter 1. The next day, oh, and I'm reading out of the message, by the way. Did you guys hear the sad news this week? Eugene Peterson, the man who translated the whole Bible into this translation right here, he passed away. Um, he was an older gentleman, so it's, like, sad, but not, like, um, But still, like, we, we want, I just, I love his his version of the scripture. Here's what I love about it. If you, if you are new to Christianity, if you're new to this whole thing, it makes the Bible really accessible. 
And if you are an old timer, it can breathe fresh life. Oh, it's my kid's number. It's okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) ah, Boy. Bye, husband. That's nice. If you've been in the Christian game for a while, it can kind of breathe fresh life into passages that you've read over and over and over. So we're going to read out of the message today. Here we go. The next day, John was back at his post, John the Baptist, okay, with two disciples who were watching. And he looked up, he saw Jesus walking nearby, and he said, here he is, God's Passover lamb. The two disciples heard him and went after him, and Jesus looked over his shoulder, and he said to them, what are you after? A.K.A., why are you following me? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, uh, where are you staying? And he replied, come along and see for yourself. So they came, saw where he was living, and ended up staying with him for the whole day. It was late afternoon when this happened. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John's witness and followed Jesus. And the first thing he did after finding where Jesus lived was find his own brother, Simon, telling him, we've found the Messiah. That is Christ. He immediately led him to Jesus. Jesus took one look up and said, you're John's son, Simon. From now on, your name is Cephas, or Peter, which means rock. And I said in the first service, it's always a good thing when Jesus gives you a different name. It's always good. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and when he got there, he ran across Philip and said, come, follow me. And Philip's hometown was Bethsaida, the same as Andrew and Peter, a.k.a. they all knew each other. They were all friends. Philip went, he found Nathaniel, and told him, We've found the one Moses wrote of in the law, the one preached by the prophets. It's Jesus, Joseph's son, the one from Nazareth. I love Nathaniel's response. Nathaniel said, Nazareth? You've got to be kidding. Campbellsville? You've got to be kidding. But Philip said, come see for yourself. And when Jesus saw him coming, he said, there's a real Israelite, not a false bone in his body. And Nathaniel said... Where'd you get that idea? You don't know me. And Jesus answered, One day, long before Philip called you here, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. And Jesus said, You've become a believer simply because I say I saw you one day sitting under a fig tree? You haven't seen anything yet. Before this is over, you're going to see heaven open and God's angels descending to the Son of Man and ascending again. Some powerful words from Jesus. So the invitation to come and see. How many of you have ever said, I'm going to have to see that before I believe it, right? Or I'll believe it when I see it. Case in point, I'm in the kitchen. I tell my daughter, go clean up your toys. It's time for dinner. Two seconds goes by, and she comes in and says, the living room's clean. I'm going to have to see that (laughs) before I believe it because it's not. Um, And guess what? It's never. (laughs) It never is clean. Um, It's just kind of like part of our human nature. Like we want to see the truth for ourselves. Nobody in here wants to be lied to. If you do want to be lied to, that's called delusion. 
okay? Nobody wants to be lied to. This is actually the number one thing that annoys me about my husband. And I told him I was going to say this, and he was okay with it. Um, So he, like, sometimes doesn't believe me. Like, when I say, Dusty, I love you, he believes that. Okay, but we're, when we're like talking about our day and I'm like, oh, I read this thing uh, in the New York Times, blah, 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 blah. He gets this furrowed brow, the furrowed brow of disbelief, and he whips his phone out and he's fact-checking me before I can even, before I can even stop. I'm like, Desi, I just, I told you I read this already. And he has to see it for himself. And as much as it still does bother me, I do the same thing. We all do. I'm always fact-checking people on my phone. But even more than that, it's we want to know the truth for ourselves. And I think that that is kind of like the big picture invitation when Jesus asks us to come and see, is to come and see the truth for yourself. And how sweet and kind is the Lord that he meets us on that level. Because he has every right in the universe if he really is like the big picture God. He's all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, made everything, knows everything about us. Shouldn't it be that if we have one encounter with that level of power, that one come-and-see invitation is enough to rest the last of our lives? Shouldn't it be? But he invites us all the time. If you walk with the Lord any amount of time, you are going to get that invitation again and again and again, because he knows that it's just part of our humanity to want to know and see truth with our very own eyes for ourselves. It's great. So, look at me. I do not have an iPad. Just got my good old-fashioned paper notes today. Um, in verse 38, when the disciples ask Jesus where he is staying, this makes me laugh because it... Um, kind of reflects a personal quirk about myself that's very embarrassing. So, um, but I'm going to tell you about it today. Uh, so his disciples say, Jesus, where are you staying? I think that was a cover because they were like following him and then Jesus was like, what do you want? And then they were like, uh, we just want to know where you're staying. Like, it's very awkward. But so, okay, I work at the public library and the really cool thing about working at the public library besides everything is, um, <laughs> is that you get to meet people when they very first move into town. They come to the library to get their library cards and to kind of maybe figure out like what's going on here in Campbellsville, which I, th- I think is great. Um, so here's how the conversation will go. I'll be at the desk, and then somebody will come up, and they'll say, oh, I just moved into town, and I'd like to get a library card. And I say, oh, that's awesome. Um, I love meeting new people, right? Say, Where did you move from? Then they tell me the state. And then the next thing I say, and it's so embarrassing, and I blame Taylor County for this, because I think it's like a hyper-local thing that people do here. I say, where do you live And I want to literally know, like, which house did you move into? (laughs) It's very nosy of me, but people do it all the time. They don't just mean, like, do you live in the city or do you live in the county? I want to know which house is yours. Do I know your neighbors? What real estate agent did you use? Have you rented from the same person? I mean, I just want to know it all, (laughs) right? (laughs) It's embarrassing, but it's true. Um, And the funny thing is, nine times out of ten when this happens at the library, people tell me. They'll tell me their exact home. Good thing I'm trustworthy. Um, But not once, not one time, has somebody said upon first meeting me, well, just come over and see for yourself. Uh, 
which I wouldn't do, by the way. <laughs> but Jesus did, didn't he? And I think it's because he knew, at least, that this invitation he was extending to these two guys was so much more than to just come actually see the physical structure where he was staying. It was the invitation to come and see the truth of who he really was. And again, that invitation is extended to us all the time. It's great. So the disciples go, and they see where Jesus is staying. They hang out with him. For some reason, the Bible thinks... uh, It needs to tell us that they stayed with him all afternoon, which is cool, I guess, in a little tidbit. And they decide for themselves, yes, this is the guy. This is the guy we've been waiting for. Our faith is being made sight right now. And they have to go, and what do they do? They tell everybody. They go grab all their friends who they also know are waiting for this guy. And they tell him, and the friends are kind of like, Nazareth, no way. And they're like, well, come and see for yourself. Um, So I think when we are extended a come and see invitation, there's an action component attached. And sometimes it's just belief. I say that like it's no big thing. It's just belief. Um, That's a really big deal, you know. Um, And it can look as simple as this. I don't believe something. I accept the invitation. I see for myself now I believe. That's action right there. Um, something else that I thought of when preparing for this message, and I feel like it's, it's probably a very small part of what we're going to talk about today, um, but I feel like it also has something maybe for some people in this room, um, is a part of a come and see invitation that could cause action would be that you are called into advocacy for a certain group, or for situation, I'm not going to go into specifics, but sometimes accepting a come and see invitation, you can accept it on behalf of your entire community who can't just go. So I have a friend who quit her job, and she moved um, for a couple months and worked in refugee camps. And it changed. I mean, it changed her, obviously. And as a Christian, like, I I care very deeply about what happens to refugees. But then, because my friend went and saw for herself, she came back to Campbellsville, and she was able to advocate on behalf of an entire group of people who have no voice, who are often unseen, who I don't see in my daily life here, because she accepted that come-and-see invitation on behalf of her entire community. And there may be something uh, for you in that little word today. Um, Sometimes a come and see invitation can cause you to kind of pull your head out of the proverbial sand and examine some things in your own life. And sometimes these things are not pleasant to examine because if they were pleasant, you wouldn't be hiding from it in the first place. Um, Maybe it is a relationship. Maybe it is just like a sticky situation that you've gotten yourself into. I'm the queen of that. Okay. Um, and the very good news for you here today is the very, pers- the very same person who invites you to come and to see the truth of a situation or the truth of where you are in life 
is the very same person who can set you free from whatever it is that you need to be set free from. He's with you in the invitation, he's with you in the examination, and he's with you through the end. And that's good news as well. Um, Here's kind of the unsettling thing, though, about a come and see invitation from the Lord, is oftentimes it's extended before there's anything to see. And I don't like that. (laughs) I think it's because of my Enneagram type. But um, I, I don't like that. I want the certainty that... You know, when I go on a road trip, for instance, which I love to do, when I go on a road trip, I want to know where we're going. I would not like to just throw a dart at the map and then drive. That's just not part of my personality. Um, Even the two disciples, when they asked Jesus, uh, hey, Jesus, where are you staying? Um, There was a journey involved. They had to walk with him to his Airbnb or like wherever he was was staying. Um, And sometimes that journey is literally just walking to go see something, but sometimes it's really hard. I lived in a come and see season, my husband and I both did, for many years. So we've been married for, you ready for this? 10 years. It's a big deal. Happened. It happened this past May. Um, So we've been married for 10 years, and our oldest child is four. So if you do some basic math, um, we spent six years of our lives um, kidless, which now that I have two kids was awesome, but that is not how we wanted it to happen. It took like three years for us to get pregnant the first time. And I'm pretty sure for that whole three years, that's all I prayed about. It really is. Um, and it, it went something like this. Jesus, I know you can heal me. Jesus, you haven't healed me. Jesus, why haven't you healed me? Jesus, did I even hear you right the first time? Am I really going to even have a family? It was really hard. But you know where I was? I was in the middle of a come and see invitation, but I didn't know what I was going to go see yet. It worked out. <laughs> um, we do have two kids, and it's great. Um, but in the moment, in the trusting, boy, is it difficult. And I know, I know for sure some of you probably have a thought in your head of something that you can relate to with that. And it's okay to just acknowledge it for what it is. It's really hard. It's really hard. Um, I think what it comes down to is this. Faith is a muscle, okay? And the more you work it, stronger it gets. But accepting a come and see invitation from Jesus before there's even anything to see, it's like the hardest workout you can do, okay? Um, It's like the CrossFit of faith, okay? Um, Have you guys seen on Facebook where people get up at 5 a.m., then they go and they do CrossFit, and they take a picture of their sweaty body imprint on the floor? That's like the first thing I wake up to at 7 in the morning when I get on Facebook is I see somebody's sweat angel (laughs) on the floor, Um, accepting a come and see invitation before there's even anything to see. It's kind of like that, except you see no results. It's like eating salad for three weeks and gaining weight somehow (laughs) happens. (laughs) Um, just say it. Um, it's really hard, but I want to tell you guys some, some really good news. Eventually the fog clears 
the sun comes out and your faith will be made sight. Accepting a come and see invitation is an invitation into clarity. God rules in order and he puts things right. And if you feel like you are walking in a come and see invitation right now and your life's a mess, (laughs) things are out of order, things are chaotic, guess what? You're just not there yet. And that's okay. Jesus is still with you. You did hear him. Okay, he did invite you to walk this road with him. Um, And eventually, you will see. You'll see. So, we've established that a come and see invitation is a personal, profound invitation from the Lord. Um, But, something that I find really special about a come and see invitation is that, are you guys ready for a big word? You can reciprocate it. So as much as we are invited from Jesus to come and see truth for our very own eyes, we can in turn turn around and invite people, invite others. What did the disciples do? Again, their action component was they turned around and they said, come and see for yourself what I have seen. But I um, couldn't help but be drawn to a different story when I was preparing for this. Um, so we're going to hop over in just a moment um, to a passage very well-tread, especially if you have grown up in church like I did. Um, and that is the woman at the well, John 4. Um, and there's this one line, and we'll get to it in just a minute. There's this one line in her story that I think about all the time. I don't know why it affects me so much, but it, it really does. And I think it's beautiful. And it has really helped me uh, in sticky situations or times in my faith as well. So, Stephen, you can put it up. We're not going to, like, read the whole thing. It's kind of a long story. But if you are tired of hearing me talk, you can just read read along if you'd like. Um, Here's what we know. Jesus was on a journey. He was traveling around and ministering to people. He gets into this town, and he sits down by the well, and we learn that he is tired. He is weary. I need another drink. Hang on. Hang on, hang on, hang on. And he asks this woman, Samaritan woman, for a drink. And we also learn in this passage that we do not speak to Samaritans, right? Jesus should not have been talking to this woman for a myriad of reasons, but namely that he was a Jew uh, and she was a Samaritan. But he asks her for a drink. And she, her response is kind of like, why are you talking to me? <laughs> and I, I can't help but maybe relate a little bit of my femininity to this. Um, if I'm just like out doing something like this woman was probably she went and got water every day, right? Um, and we know her reputation, we learn later, it's not stellar. Um, she probably was thinking, I can't go anywhere without guys chatting me up. And maybe not to that extent, but I know we can all relate to this because we live in Campbellsville. And it's a very small town. And I've been to Kroger. And when I'm at Kroger, 
every single one of you are also at Kroger. <laughs> Here's what happens when I walk into Kroger, and I'm just getting the things that I left off of my click list, which again happens all the time. Um, one person will stop me and ask me to renew their library books, and I will forget. One person will stop me, and I don't know their name, so it's a lot of this. And then I'll see like four people that I am genuinely excited to see, probably. But even then, even with me being an extrovert and thriving off like seeing people out and about while I'm out and about, sometimes, isn't it just kind of like, oh, I just want to get my bananas and go home, right? <laughs> um, and I can't help but think that Jesus in this story may not have been the only tired person at the well that day. Okay, so they start engaging in debate. He offers her living water, and she is very rightly confused, because what is that? Um, and he offers her again. He says, I can give you water that will quench your thirst forever. And I love her response, because her response is basically, well, fine, give me some of this so I don't have to come back to this dumb well again, right? Uh, but this is where things start to kind of get a little personal, um, he tells her, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have one. And Jesus says, you're right, you don't. You've had five. The man you're living with now, it's not even your husband. Which, like, that's kind of looked down upon nowadays. Can you imagine in Jesus' time, like, the implications behind that? Um... So they, again, now he takes it from very, like, surface-level things, and he's getting personal with her now. So uh, they start kind of engaging in a little bit of theological debate, and basically her response in, uh, I think, verse 25, she says, well, I don't really know about all that, but what I do know is that when the Messiah comes, we'll all understand. Everything will be made clear. He will come, and we will see. She was living in the midst of a come-and-see invitation. She hadn't seen anything yet. But then, what does Jesus do? He just tells her, I am the Messiah. And how many of you have ever, like, been hoping for something, and then it happens? And I don't know if it's just because of my personality type, but when something happens that I'm actually hoping for, I'm always like, oh, what? <laughs> what? I didn't expect this. Um, I am most definitely a pessimist, so that's probably why. None of you can relate to that, I'm sure. Um, but she, she sees this man, and he has kind of like read her mail, right? And also, he says, I'm the Messiah, and of course, She's kind of flabbergasted. But then the disciples come in. The disciples, those lovable goons, um, they just have a knack for being unable to read the room, right? They cannot uh, figure out why Jesus is talking to a Samaritan. They can't realize that he just like totally revealed truth to this woman. They're just like, Jesus, why are you talking to her? So she kind of gets freaked out. She leaves her water there. She doesn't need it anymore. And she runs back to her village, and she says this line. And I think it's so beautiful. Here's what she says. She says to her community, Come see a man who knows all about the things I did. 
who knows me inside and out. Do you think this could be the Messiah? I don't know why. I'm not crying. I did a little bit in first service. You're welcome. Um, but man, that, that line gets me in the heart every time. First of all, um, how many of us would want to introduce our community to somebody who knows every single thing about us? All of our dirt. And who brought it up the first time they met us? <laughs> Gosh, Jesus isn't pulling any punches here. I don't. And I, frankly, don't want to know any of your all's dirt either. You know, like, I just, let's not, let's not do that. Um, but especially this woman. We know she didn't have a good reputation. We know she didn't. And the Bible puts it very delicately, right? But we know. She's a loose woman, okay? Um, but that's the thing about these, like, encounters with Jesus, especially when you read in the New Testament. If Jesus, like, heals somebody, what do they do? They run back to their village, they're always in villages, and they tell everybody what happened. But they just can't keep it in. And I think there's something really tender about that. Um, when the invitation to come and see is extended, it's always wrapped up in hope. I have a really hard time with hope. Again, I said at the beginning of this message, this invitation encompasses everything that I find really difficult about living the God life. Hope is really hard. So, the year 2018. It's right now. Um, January 2018. Do you guys ever, like, uh, around the new year, ask the Lord for, like, what is a picture for my year? Like, what is a word or a phrase that you can give me for this year? Well, I'm not doing it in 2019, by the way. But this year, I felt like the Lord told me, Emily, get your hopes up. And I was like, okay. Um, this time last year, I like so like October, November, all through the holidays. Don't you guys just love the holidays? Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready to put my Christmas tree up. But that's that's beside the point. All through the holidays into the new year, last year, I was living with such extreme anxiety. Um, and it was in regards to one particular thing, but it flooded like the rest of my life. I was not mothering very well. I was not a good friend. I was not a good sister or a wife or a coworker or a whatever hat we all wear because I was so anxious about this one thing. Um, and so January comes and the Lord tells me, Get your hopes up. And I thought that that was the Lord inviting me into, like, you know, like, leaving that anxiety in 2017. Like, get your hopes up about the good things that are coming in 2018. And by April, I had been diagnosed with cancer. The very thing I was so anxious about to begin with. Every single fear that I carried with me into this 2018 year where Jesus told me to get my hopes up, every single one came true. So it's really hard to get your hopes up when you are being so bombarded by 
the things that you allow your mind to uh, make you afraid of. Does that make sense? (sighs) But I know what I did. I lost sight of the invitation of Jesus to come and see why he had even told me to get my hopes up in the first place. You guys want to know what happened? In August when I went to do my treatment, my cancer treatment, I didn't even have to do it. He healed me. He totally healed me. I did have to have surgery, right? And I do have to deal with this for like the rest of my life. But the worst case scenarios that we were positing all through this diagnosis and treatment, all that stuff, I didn't even have to do it. Jesus is so good. He's so, so good. And I want the kind of hope, not that everything is going to be fine and rosy in your life, but here, here is my hope, and here's what I'm going to cling to. I know who Jesus is. I believe that who he is is true, and like that's enough for me. Just like we sang today, give me Jesus. Okay, that'll do <laughs> for me. That's enough hope for me. And this woman at the well, can you imagine... Somebody of her stature in the community coming and trying to give you religious advice? Right? She probably carried shame with her, and it probably went before her because everybody knew at least a little bit of her business. But after an encounter with Jesus, it didn't even matter. So... If you are sitting in here today and you feel like you just have some shame about some things in your life, and I'm not even going to give any hypotheticals, okay? Just if something comes to your mind, that's what it is. Um, I want you to know that that shame is, one, not from the Lord, and it, two, does not disqualify you from hearing from Jesus, and then being able to turn around and invite others to see the truth. You are eligible, every single one of us, not by anything that we've done, but it's just because of who Jesus is, because he's so good. Um, and, you know, I kind of want to add this as a little aside Um, I do get a little nervous for how this woman's invitation would be received in the Church of America today. Um, I don't think it's any secret. It's kind of become a national pastime to debate whether people's stories are true or false. And especially if those people's stories challenge maybe your own personal or moral or political or religious framework, it's really easy to try to just pick that person apart and like discredit everything they have to say. So I'm not sitting, I'm not going to be like, here's the answer, because I, I don't know, right? But what I do want to do is cast a net very wide and ask Jesus, would you please help us receive invitations from you, even if the person extending it uh, is not like us and is not... Uh, maybe even somebody that we agree with on any of the constructs that we 
put in place to separate us versus them. I have a hard time with it, um, but I want to be better. I want to be better about it. And this woman is a great example. She didn't have a very good reputation. She's a female. Um, name, <laughs> pick, your, pick your poison here. She should not have probably been believed. But do you know what her village did? They believed her, and they ran out, and they met with Jesus. They had their own little come-and-see journey, and their village, her whole village, ended up believing because of her. It's really lovely. It's great. All right, so I kind of want to conclude a little bit. Like I said, come-and-see invitations, they just kind of encompass everything that I find really challenging about this life, this journey that we're on. Um, But the good news is that I think we can live it out in really small, meaningful ways just by allowing ourselves to trust the one who does the inviting. That would be Jesus. Because even when the invitation comes from another source, like Sarah were to invite me to come and see Jesus, it's coming from Jesus. Okay? Um, And this invitation has... Layers upon layers upon layers. It builds up over time, like the ring of a tree or sediment in the ground. You can look back on your life and see how Jesus has nurtured you, has protected you, has guided you, has ordered your steps. And that, in and of itself, is a come and see invitation. It's a come and see invitation to remember what he's done in your life. So, can we all get behind that? I hope so. If you're on ministry team, please be here. Um, Please come on up. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.